Christmas. Man, it's great to see all of you here this Christmas Eve. I tell you, this is uh, my favorite memory of Christmas Eve I, I, or, or Christmas. And I, I don't think I'm saying that just because I'm a pastor. Man, my, my favorite part of Christmas is gathering with God's people, gathering with the people who believe that this babe of Bethlehem, he's the Christ, the Lord and our Savior. Amen. It, this is always what makes Christmas great for me. You, you know, funny that I would say great for me. I know a lot of you are, are visiting from out of town or, or maybe new here tonight, but all this December, we've been talking about giving Jesus a great Christmas. And here I just use the phrase, what makes a great Christmas for me? Because that's usually how we think of Christmas, isn't it? Whether it's a good one or a not so good one. We have some of those every now and then. I mean, it's all kind of based on how it makes me feel or what my memory of that Christmas is. You know, that's one of the things I, I pray for our home uh, is not actually what goes on. It's just that when it's all over, we have some great memories of that time together, that, some great memories of our, our celebration of Christmas. That's what I pray for you this week is that when you come out the other side of this, you're going to have a, a precious memory there in your own heart and life or, or in your family. We, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I was just sharing with our church this past Sunday. When I think of special memories, I, I, I think of like the Christmas of 1971. And that was a white Christmas in Colorado. And I was with our grand, my grandparents and parents. And it was, it was snowing and it's the mountains and the decorations and a wall of cookies. I mean, that, that's magical. That was the magical memory. And then I've got a special memory. I guess probably the most special Christmas ever was the Christmas of 1987, right? Because just a few days earlier, I married the most beautiful, wonderful girl in all the world. And, and so, yeah, we just celebrated an anniversary. And so almost any Christmas, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about our, our anniversary and our marriage. But don't we do that with our memories? We'll mark a Christmas by a particular gift one year. Or, or by a trip, or by a special event, or a, a certain gathering that we had as a family. And then that's going to work out like we planned, and we're going to call it a good Christmas, or it's not going to work out like we planned, and it'll be, it'll be something else. But there again, we're, we're measuring Christmas by what it means to me. And I'm not suggesting the rightness or wrongness of that, but then we also try to say that he's the reason for the season, Right? It's supposed to be about Jesus. So whatever I'm doing so that I have a great Christmas or somebody I love has a great Christmas, man, let, let's figure out how we put Jesus in that mix so that we're working to give him a great Christmas. And that's what we've been looking at through the month of December. We've looked at the Christmas story and some of the characters in that story and how they responded to Christmas, what they were doing in that very first one and what we could learn from them. And we've looked at Mary, we've looked at Gabriel, the angel, we've looked at Simeon. And today we're going to look at a, a couple of characters in the Christmas story that are pretty popular. They're, they're pretty well known. We refer to them as the wise men. Let, let's listen to their story. I'm reading from Matthew chapter two, and I'll begin in verse one. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he was troubled, not the same reason as all Jerusalem. He was troubled because he didn't want any threat to his own throne, to his own rule. And so when he heard this, all, all Jerusalem, they're all troubled. And he, they assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time this star had appeared. Let me, let me pause right there. So he calls the wise men aside and he says, now when did you see this star? And we don't know what they told him. I mean, he, they answered him, but it just is not recorded here for us. So we don't know what they said, but we know that following this story, Herod is going to send his soldiers to Bethlehem and he's going to kill all the male children under the age of two. So a lot of people have suggested maybe it's as much as two years later after Jesus was born that the wise men are showing up. I, I don't think it's quite that much later, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Just keep that in mind. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star where they, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm guessing when we all get home in a little bit, we've got a nativity scene somewhere in the house, and that nativity scene will include the the wise men, right? I mean, they're they're usually in most nativity scenes, even though they weren't actually there the night Jesus was born, right? I mean, the scripture's pretty clear about that, but we we like to put. I've had people ask me, should we take the should we take the wise men out of our nativity scene? You know, honestly, I don't think God's that bothered by what your nativity scene looks like. I think he's okay. You know, when I look at my nativity scene, I kind of think that everything there is representing all that was involved with the arrival of Jesus. And the wise men are certainly involved in that. So I don't, I don't think you need to go home and, and pluck them out. Though, though they clearly were not there the night he was born. They saw the star and that set them on a journey. Now, when I say a journey, I don't mean they hopped on the camel right that minute. I, I think the journey began with research, it, fig, trying to figure out, hey, what, what do world religions say? What writings do we have that can explain this event, that this thing going on in the sky? And I, I think it's safe to say, obviously, they came across the Jewish writings. They, they came across what we would call the Bible and they may have found Numbers twenty four seventeen that said there's going to be a star. And under that star, a scepter, a king. Maybe they came across Micah 5, 2, which I read there. Out of, out of Bethlehem. I, I don't know what all they came across, but they finally came across enough to hop on the camel, right? I mean, ultimately, they did make their way to Israel, to Jerusalem. 
and, and to Bethlehem. That something along the lines of maybe close to two years it took them to get to this spot. You know, my guess is it was probably more like nine months, 12 months, 15 months. Herod was a wicked horrible king. He had no problem killing people. He had no problem killing children. So my guess is if they just said, oh, you know, it's like a year ago, I think, then he would have just told his soldiers, just, just go kill every kid under the age of two. Let, let's just make sure we got it. We got it covered. Now, don't think of hundreds and hundreds of children. Bethlehem is a very small village. It, it might have been several children, a couple of children. It's, it's kind of hard to tell there. But uh, anyway, it's, it's something like maybe a year, year and a half, two years to get to this point. You know, and we, we have uh, these, we always say three wise men, right? Did, did you notice the text never tells us how many there are? We just kind of made that up. I think somebody said, well, there was three gifts. Let's put one wise man per gift. Maybe it works like that. I, I don't know. I do know the word magi is plural. So there's at least two. But you know, there actually could have been like 10, 12, 15 wise men that, that, that came to this moment. And magi, I get asked all the time, what, what actually is a, a, a magi? You know, we really don't have anybody like this in our, in our culture. This job doesn't really exist anymore. The magi was a cross between like a religious scholar and a chemist, right? You see those two going together. It, it was kind of a blend of, of science and religion, but that's, that's what they are, and they've worked pretty hard to get to this moment right here standing before Jesus. And, and you know, it, it, it says there, when, when we look at the wise men, we usually start talking about the gifts. We talk about what it says about, about those gifts, but you know, when you look at those gifts, and they're, they're very valuable gifts, but there's a lot of meaning in them. Those gifts are meant to be very symbolic. At least one of them, myrrh, that's, that's what you used for dead people. I mean, that's, that's not a gift for a brand new baby. That's, that's not even really a gift for a king. So again, it's a little bit hard to say with some certainty what they had read, what they knew, what they had come to believe but it seems pretty clear they believe something, they understand something about this baby that goes beyond its birth. They, they seem to know something about his life and, and perhaps even, perhaps even his death. So these gifts are symbolic, these gifts are valuable, but, but I'd like to suggest that those gifts aren't the greatest gift they gave Jesus. I think the greatest gift they gave Jesus was the gift of pursuit. They pursued Jesus, didn't they? Think, think about what that looked like. They, they pursued him with time. Again, I've, I've said a couple times here, we don't know exactly how much time, but man, there was the time of, of research and, and study. There was the time of finally putting a caravan together and making their way to Israel. And those usually weren't fast moving trips. I mean, it, it very likely was months that it took to get there. And it's not just the time of getting there. They got to go home too, right? It's a round trip. They have invested a lot of time in getting to this moment. That They've invested a lot of money. I mean, they've pursued them at expense. Of course, there's the cost of the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Now, the gold jumps out at us. We all know what that is, don't we? 
Would you believe that the frankincense may have very well been more valuable? It doesn't tell us how much they gave of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But probably in our dollars today, they're laying at his feet like a five-figure gift. I mean, this is a big gift that they're, they're laying down here in the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But it's not just the cost of the gifts. Think about this, folks. They've, they've put together a, a, a caravan. These are dignitaries. They're not traveling by themselves. They've got a security detail. They've got cooks. They've got some servants. We don't know exactly how many wise men, two, 12, 15. I mean, this is a crowd of people that are moving, and that would have happened at great expense. And, and they have pursued them, and maybe this is just another word for time and money. They've pursued them with effort, right? I mean, they're not there on a whim. We do a lot of stuff on a whim. Matter of fact, we do some good things that started on a whim. But I mean, you think about it. Hey, let's, let's try this restaurant. <laughs> hey, let's try this church. Hey, let's try this religion. Hey, let's, hey, you know what? Nothing else is working in my life right now. I think I'm going to try this. We do a lot of things on a whim. They're not doing this on a whim. A lot of, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. The effort of studying, the effort of researching, the effort of coming to a conclusion and thinking, hey, I need to move on this. That moved that caravan to where they were finally there at the feet of Jesus. You know, folks, when, it start, when we start talking about our time and our money and our energy, I, I know this about humans, and I don't think they were any different 2,000 years ago. We don't spend a lot of time, money, and effort unless we really think it's worth it. You know, that word worth, that's really the same word as the word worship. W- worship is an act of expressing what something, what someone is worth to me. So when, when they get there, and we're trying to imagine these foreign dignitaries, I mean, people of high standing, and they're, they're bowing and worshiping a baby, they'd already been worshiping. We see that in the time they pursued, the money they pursued, the effort with which they pursued. Hard to say specifically what they knew about Jesus, what they came to believe and understand about Jesus. But I know this, it's a lot more than, hey, this kid's going to grow up and be somebody great. Hey, this kid's going to be a king one day. No, you look at all that activity, folks, and it really seemed to suggest they believed this baby was God. You know, that's a, that's a gift that you and I can give, isn't it? The gift of pursuit. I, I, I can give Jesus, you can give Jesus the gift of pursuit. Hey, hey, Jesus, when I get to, to the Christmas of 2020, I want to be able to look back on a year of having pursued you. I want my pursuit to show you what you're worth to me. You know, if you look back on Christmas of 2019, would you describe your relationship with the Lord? Would you describe that with the word pursuit? You know, I'm guessing in that few seconds there, almost every one of us in our minds said yes or no. And when you said that, it was, well, no, probably not. I mean, I I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I haven't done any of that. Or we said, yeah, yeah, I've done this and I've done this. You know, it's amazing. We already know a list of what pursuit looks like. 
We know whether we're doing something on a whim or when it's convenient or whether we're actually pursuing. Boy, could I, could I challenge every one of us here tonight, challenge myself. Man, Jesus, I, I want to give you the gift, the gift of pursuit. Man, when you try to think about giving a gift to somebody who has everything, I'm pretty sure God has everything. You know, that actually is a gift you can give. The gift of pursuit. You know, I, I want to close with a line here, and, it, and it, it's a line for tonight, but for those of you that have been here all December or maybe caught a message or two in December, that this line actually wraps up the whole series. We've been talking about what we give to Jesus, how we give Jesus a great Christmas. So here's the closing line. Folks, when you and I give Jesus a great Christmas, you've just given yourself the best gift you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I hope nobody's bothered by this. Lord, I, I want to pray that none of us in this room can get over this thought over the next week. We, we can't get over the thought of, is my life really pursuing? Could my relationship with Jesus be described as pursuit? Lord, I pray this week we would think much on the things we want to take out of our life, things we want to put in our life so that when we get to the Christmas of 2020, just like these wise men, we can lay at the feet of Jesus this incredible gift of pursuit. May our time, may our resources, and my, may our effort clearly communicate, Jesus, what you are worth to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.